0: Grace to you and peace, from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Amen. So, this morning I have a very simple question for Um, you—one that um, you, as a Christian, might get asked at some point by either uh, a non-Christian or maybe someone who says maybe they're on the fence a little bit and they're on the fringe or they're a little curious, inquisitive, interested. My question for you is this: What is the purpose of the Bible? Now, that might seem like a simple question, and yet if you take a moment to think about it, it should become a rather complex question rather quickly. Um, So since now nobody answered out loud, all right, I want you to think about, I want you to think about where your answer came from. You know, just like when I say two plus two and you think the answer in your head, um, I want you to think about that, where that answer came from when I said, um, what's the purpose of the Bible? If you actually put that out in a sentence, how many of you would start with the words I think, or I've always thought, or things like that, but how many of you thought of a Bible verse to let the Bible speak for itself? Um, I've got a couple here out front um, to get us rolling and get thinking about it. Um, One of my favorite verses, I say it all the time, is 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Because the fact is, we need to let God's word speak for itself. We need to let God's word define itself. God uses his word to define himself and define us as well. Another credibility statement for the Bible is Hebrews 4.12. The first part of that, the word of the Lord is alive and active. I love those words, alive. The word of the Lord is living and it's doing something. Right? It's active, it does something. Now those, again, are great credibility statements. But again, if we've been around here for any length of time, um, you've heard several messages uh, from me about how we got the Bible, how we got the actual words that we have in our hands and the credibility behind that. Um, You can go back on our YouTube channel and look at some of those, how we got these writings in the first place, how we can trust that these are the same writings that God intended for us to have. So again, those verses that I just quoted here a minute ago tell us about um, that we can trust what the Bible says. But my original question, back to that, is what's the purpose of the Bible? 2 Timothy doesn't tell us the purpose of the Bible. It tells us where we got the Bible. Hebrews doesn't tell us where uh, the purpose of the Bible. It tells us that we can trust the Bible. So we look at verses like this, like Romans 15.4. It says this, For whatever was, written in, whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Break this down just a little bit. Now this gets more to the purpose of the Bible, right? The encouragement of the scriptures that we might have hope. The encouragement of the scriptures, um, that's the word where we get uh, our word for a Holy Spirit. That's paraclete. It means to call near. It means to, call, to comfort, right? The encouragement, right? The power of that. And then hope. And, and, you know, there's a difference between the way we use the word hope and the, the biblical way we use hope. Um, I would say, I hope that you were here um, during Advent and heard a whole message on that word hope, right? But the Bible says the word hope means an expectation, it means trust in what we have. So now we're getting closer, I don't know what my phone is doing here, but it's not welcome here. Sometimes she's got a mind of her own, all right? Put her in a timeout over there. At hope means expectation, and it means trust, right? So that's what the hope does. That's what the scriptures do for us. They comfort us, right? They call us near, and they give us an expectation and a trust. So now we're getting closer to the answer to the purpose of the Bible, Um, that things that were written in earlier times, right, to give us, those things were written to give us encouragement, to give us comfort, to give us hope. But now the question we should be asking, and I try to get you guys to think like that, to ask questions, to be thinking the next step, not just to take that and say, yeah, that makes me feel really good. Take the next step. The Bible's going to give us encouragement. It's going to give us hope. The question we should be asking is, how does the Bible do that? How does the Bible give us encouragement? How does the Bible give us hope? But before we look into that in depth this morning, I want to look at one more verse. This is still an introduction here about what we're going to be talking about. 1 John. 1 John 5... 13. There's only five chapters in 1 John. This is coming to the end of what have his epistle here. He says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of, the, of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. So you may know that you have eternal life. The title of this message this morning is, Do You Know That You Know? Or something like that. What did I call it? Know That You Know. Right? And that's what this Greek word is. There's a different Greek word. They have different Greek words for the word of of no. We've got one that we kind of throw all over the place. This is the Greek word, ido, And it means to perceive with your eyes. It means to discern. It means to discover. Start putting some of those words in there. I've written these things so that you can discover that you have eternal life. I've written these things so you can discern you have eternal life. I've written these things so that you can perceive with your eyes that you have eternal life. And here's my favorite definition of this word. And this is the Greek dictionary definition of this word. Here it is. To pay attention to. John says, I've written these things. These things that were written in earlier times were written so that you pay attention to the fact that you have eternal life. Do so you pay attention to the fact that you have eternal life. How many of you included that with your credibility statement or your definition or your purpose statement of the Bible so that we can pay attention to the fact that we have eternal life. That's what the Bible is written about. That's what John tells us in no uncertain terms right there. How many times have I said that? That God, when God wants us to know something, he says it with certainty, he says it with clarity. Pay attention to the fact that we have eternal life. So God breathes out these words to instruct us, right? We get that. To give us encouragement, to give us hope. We get that. Give us hope in the fact that we have eternal life. Now, while we're going through the Bible, and while we're reading our devotionals, or whatever it is that you call it, and however you say it, while we're going through the Bible, anytime, anywhere we're reading the Bible, we should be looking for those words of encouragement. We should be looking for those words of hope. We should also be looking for words of instruction. We should be looking for words of of promise. You know, we're constantly doing that in our youth group. We're talking about God's commands and God's promises, And I point out time and time and time and time and time again that God's promises always follow his commands. Or we say it the other way. God's commands are always followed by his promises. The one we talked about last Wednesday in in our youth group, the one we spent the most time on, was Proverbs 16.3. It says, commit everything to the Lord. Everything you do, commit it all to the Lord. Then he will make your plan succeed. That's an amazing statement right there. And I'm sure most people look at the second part of that verse. Ooh, my plans are going to succeed. Boom. Got it. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whole plan will succeed. And, you know, you're going to put that to the test, but are you going to put that first part into action? Commit everything you do to the Lord, then your plans will succeed. And we start thinking, well, what is it that we need to commit to the Lord? What is the purpose of committing everything to the Lord? We look back at John 5.13 that says, you know, that we're putting towards the Lord, is to know the fact and to live in the fact and pay attention to the fact that we have eternal life through him. The fact that we can know that we have eternal life. That's where we get our instructions from. The encouragement we get from God's words. So go back now with me to Romans 15:4. It says, whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. So that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope, Right? I want to go back to that word encouragement for a second. Like I said, it's uh, the root word is the same root word where we get the Holy Spirit, uh, We get, But the word for encouragement, again, this is the Greek dictionary definition. This is what you're going to find when you open up a Greek dictionary, if you can read Greek. Open up a Greek dictionary, it says this, what, this encouragement refers to the salvation because of the Messiah, We get encouragement from written in these written instructions, these things that were written in earlier times, because they refer to salvation because of the Messiah. And it's interesting, I think, though, that the way of phrasing that, it's not encouragement um, of salvation through the Messiah, it's because, salvation because of the Messiah. So now understand from the jump here that that there are words of encouragement and, and hope in God's words. So then we need to be looking and recognizing, looking for and recognize those words. Always, whenever we're reading through scripture, look for those words of salvation, look for those words of encouragement, those words of hope. Now this morning I just want to explore two different places, uh, two different moments where God gives his people, his followers, um, the ones who are committing everything to him. Um, He gives the promises and hope um, and encouragement um, that they receive from God. Uh, And even those that are around them receive that same thing or associated with them. Our first contestant this morning has an encounter with one of the major prophets in the Old Testament. Um, Sally read about it here a minute ago. I've said it before about God's storytelling technique that people just suddenly pop on the scene. No introduction, boom, they're just there. It's like if you were watching a movie, you'd be like, who's this guy? And all of a sudden this person comes out and says their part and they just exit just as quickly. One minor exception from that rule is a guy by the name of Elijah. Right? Elijah suddenly appears on the scene—a major prophet. All of a sudden, just pops on the scene in First Kings chapter 17. Then he totally dominates the narrative until about the second chapter of Second Kings, where he's taken to heaven. We'll talk about that a, on, at another time. Now, to set up this scene about how gives us how God gives us encouragement in First Kings chapter 17. Um, Set this up in the in the historical t- context. Um, Ahab is the king of Israel, right now, and he might be the worst king Israel has ever seen. I say might be because there's a lot of bad ones, and there's a lot of competition for who's the worst one. Ahab married a woman named Jezebel, right? Um, who practiced uh, pagan religions. But not only that, but she enticed Ahab to adopt those same practices um, into, um, into Israel. Um, so much to the fact that, that Ahab built a temple to the god Baal in Samaria, of all places. My goodness, that's where they were living. That's where they were kind of uh, getting, uh, you know, ruling everything out of. Um, a, a lot more to cover in that area. But suffice it to say that Ahab did not lead God's people the way God was directing him to lead them. So God sends Elijah, God, this is the first thing he's. This is his first assignment, right? God sends Elijah to tell Ahab the king and his wife, this evil queen, that it wasn't going to rain because of what they were doing. It wasn't going to rain on the land for three years because they were worshiping the god Baal. Now, Baal, if you're um, into biblical history at all, um, Baal is a, both a title and a specific god. So it's a title it can be thrown out all over, the, all, all over the place as just simply gods. But Baal was the god of, of fertility and the god of weather, specifically the god of rain. So that's why God said it's not going to rain for three years. He says, you're going to worship this god? And every time it rains, you're going to praise this god? He said, well, you know what? We're going to take that away. We're going to not let it rain for three years because of this person over here. It was kind of the same thing when God was laying down the plagues over Egypt. You know, each one of those plagues was directed at one of the gods that the Egyptians were worshiping. So it's the same thing here. God says, it's not going to rain for three years because you have been worshiping this God. So as as soon as uh, Elijah delivers this devastating news, um, God tells him to get out of there. He says, and Sally read that, you go camp near a brook. God instructs the ravens to come and feed him, and he did, or they did. They brought him bread and meat until, you know, it wasn't raining anymore, so eventually that brook dried up. So then God says, okay, here we go. God sends him to Serapheth, and God says that he's instructed a widow to provide for Elijah. Okay, so that's where the story gets interesting. Now the ravens get a break, and this woman's widow's going to take care of him. So Elijah does it. He gets up, and he goes to Serapheth. Sure enough, he meets this woman and asks her uh, for some water. She's at the well, and she says, sure, I'll get you some water. And as she's on her way, Elijah says, oh, could you please also bring me a a piece of bread or a loaf of bread? And she says, yeah, you know, here's the thing. And she starts out her, her response to him. She says, as sure as your God lives. So she knows exactly who Elijah is. She knows exactly the God of the universe. She knows all this. She says, as sure as your God lives. This is about verse 12. She says, Here's the thing, I've got like a cup of flour left at the house and a little bit of oil, and my plan was to go home and bake that for me and my son, and we were going to eat that as our last meal and then kind of just wait to die. And, you know, now now Elijah's reaction, my reaction probably would have been something like, obviously I have the wrong widow here. Could you please direct me to um, one of the other widows in town or something like that? But Elijah says, no, that's not going to be the story. That's not how it's going to end. He says, um, if you'll do this for me, he said, if you'll go home and bake that cake for me um, and then bring it to me and then go home and bake one for you and your son, he said, your flour will never run out and your oil will never run out. And that's exactly what happened. She obeys and it works. Both the flour and the oil don't get used up. And actually, Elijah's words said, they're going to last until it rains again. So it lasted a long time. This little cup of flour and this little bit of oil just didn't get used up. Now, by any measure, that was an amazing feat. The widow thought, you know, we're done. We're going to die. This is going to be our last meal. That was her plan. We're just going to eat this meal, and then we're just going to wait to die. Elijah said, step out in faith, and God will surprise you and provide for you. You know, part of that commit everything you do, you know, step out in faith. Now, the surprising part to me is, we're going to see here in a moment, is we don't get that woman's reaction at all. We don't get any kind of reaction from her. There's no surprise, no shock, no awe, nothing. Now, that should have been enough to know that, that God's power was there. But then the next part of the story is this. Her son gets sick, right? So sick that it says, words, the scripture says, that there was no breath in him at all. The boy died. And she goes to Elijah and she says, I thought you came here so that I would learn about salvation, so that I would have assurance of salvation. But now look, is this the reason you actually came and Elijah says, okay, you got a point here. I'm, we'll see what's happening. So he brings the boy upstairs to his, to his room. He lays the boy down on the bed. And he prays to God basically what the woman said. He says, this is this why you brought me here? I thought you know, we were doing something else. Is this, is this why I'm here, so I can witness this, this tragedy? And then Elijah lays himself on, this, on the boy three times. And he prays to God. He says, bring his life back into him. And God does that. He says, let him live, and that that happens. And and Elijah brings the boy back down to his mother. And now all of this happened because of these words of assurance that God gives us here in this next sentence that I'm going to show you. All this that happened, you know, she was stepping out in faith, and God was repaying her, and then all of a sudden this happens. And she's like, well, I don't understand what's happening. And God says this to her, or she says this to Elijah, rather. The woman said to Elijah, After this, after his son has been raised, verse twenty-four, she says, "Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in your in your mouth is true." Now I know, right? The flour and oil apparently were not, but now there's no doubt in anybody's mind. This word "know," if you were here last week, is the Hebrew word "yada," right? Anybody here last week? "Yada," say it with me. "Yada," right? It makes "yada" means. To know, and uh, the fact that I know it makes a difference. Right? Yada knows means I know that I know. I know what I know, and I know that I know it. I know that there's salvation, and I can rely on that. She was at that point. She says, Not only do I know, but now it's going to have some, some action. So these things written in earlier times were written for our instruction. John says these things were written so that you can know, that you can yada in Hebrew or that you can eido in Greek, right? Perceive with your eyes. Again, the Bible is filled with examples just like this. But we didn't get to live in Elijah's time. We didn't get to be there when all this was going on. And frankly, only that widow really witnessed what was going on. That's That's why John says in his epistle, that's why John says we can see the narrative We can see the narrative, we can experience the narrative from these written words. That's why I always say, you know, I I realize that this is a two-dimensional kind of thing, but we gotta get inside it. We gotta walk around, we gotta experience it, we gotta feel the sun that's coming down, we gotta, you know, wonder where that well is and the cakes and all we gotta just be a part of that. Because we don't get to be there physically. Right? And we didn't get to be with Jesus when he was around. But we got an awful lot of stuff that was written down when he was there. Like I read earlier, um, I read from the uh, historical moment we fer- refer to as the woman at the well. Again, there's a lot to unpack here. But I just want to focus on one aspect of that this morning. And that's that, that knowing part. Right, Great story told quickly. Jesus is sitting by a well. His disciples have left him. Right, And a woman comes along. Um, at an hour when no one in their right mind is out there collecting water. It's hot. She'd been married several times, Jesus was pointing this out, and currently living with another person, and yet Jesus reaches out to her and strikes up a conversation. Here's the part we need to unpack later. Jesus talks about that he is the living water. Uh, We'll come back to all of this. Jesus continues to tell her about about her life and the trouble she had. And um, This woman knows that, that Jesus is not only a prophet, but that he is the Messiah. The words that Jesus is using are words that she understands, that she can clearly, and with clarity and, and certainty, understand what Jesus is saying. He is saying he is the Messiah. She runs back to the village, tells everyone there what's going down at the well. Chapter four, verse thirty-nine says this in John, John's Gospel: Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, "He told me everything I did." You know, she was telling everybody what was going on, how this guy was, you know, blowing her mind. So the people were curious. They came from the town to see what Jesus was doing, uh, and they talked to him for a moment. And then they begged him to stay, and he did for two days. He stayed with them. He taught them. He spoke with them. Um, they experienced him. And after hearing God's word, their faith increased. Now, this woman just went back and she gave her testimony, right? She didn't try to teach them some theological conundrum or something. You know, she didn't try to show them how clever she was. She said, no, this guy blew my mind and this is what happened, right? Testimony is about this is who I was, this is what happened, and this is who I am now. That's exactly what she was telling them. And they said, I want a piece of that. I want to see what's going on. So to be sure, this woman's testimony brought these people to Jesus. Her testimony brought these people to Jesus. And then it was God's words that brought them to the knowledge of the truth. Another person's experience can only bring you so far. That's why we pray for the Holy Spirit to bring this to us and bring us in it. By listening to someone else's description or experience of another person, you might say that you know that person, but only when you spend time with that person, listen to them firsthand, do you really get to know them on a different level. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus spent two days in that village and people talked to him. He taught, to them. He taught them, he spoke with them. And he changed them. Right? And he idoled them. Verse 42, they said to the woman, the villagers said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, that got us on the right track, that got us going in the right direction, but because we heard him ourselves, we experienced him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the, son, the Savior of the world. We Ido. Why? Because they experienced it. These people from Samaria are now able to say, we know that we know. We know that we know he is the Messiah and the Savior of the world. My question for you this morning is this. When it comes to the Savior of the world and your salvation, when it comes to the Savior of the world, And your salvation, the purpose of this book in our hands, to talk about the Savior of the world and your salvation. Do you know it? And do you know that you know that you are saved? What Jesus does for us. Paul says these things were written in earlier times for our instruction. Are you recognizing when God breaks in? Are you recognizing when God provides for you? Those things are to lead us to the fact and to the idea that we can know that we have eternal life and not only know it, we got to know that we know it. Amen? Amen? All right, let's stand with me, please. And let's confess together what we.